Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's been a shorter week with the holiday, but still plenty busy in the news because, you know, we're Las Vegas. So today on CityCast Las Vegas, we are breaking it all down for you. I'm here with lead producer Sonia Cho Swanson and writer Brittany Bronson. Today, we're going to talk about the debut of the Sphere, a challenge to the new election worker protection law and heat dangers for outside workers. It's Friday, July 7th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Sonia and Brittany, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you both. And, uh, you know, we got the 4th of July in the rearview mirror, but another big item that may appear larger than it seems in the side view mirror is that giant MSG sphere right behind the Venetian. So, Sonia, the unveiling was dazzling. What's the story? I think we were all kind of holding our breath for like a while to see this sphere debut. I mean, there were a lot of chatter about like this giant ugly structure on our skyline. Is this like an eye of Sauron? Tons and tons of money, way over cost. Everyone's just kind of rolling their eyes like, oh God, another like another Vegas like sore spot on the skyline or whatever. But Honestly, the response to that debut of incredible imagery and videos on the on the exosphere, as they call the outside screen, has been overwhelmingly positive. Headlines so far, I've called it bonkers or dazzling, incredible. I don't know. Have you guys seen some of the videos from the sphere's first night? Yes. That giant eyeball is just haunting oh God. me. <laughs> right? Haunting. It's like the third eye. It's like watch, the evil eye watching. The evil yeah. eye. Do you have favorite of the videos or the images so far that you've seen? I thought the American flag was subtle and nice and appropriate, very tasteful. Uh huh. I'm I'm not to say I'm I'm underwhelmed for two point three billion dollars. They got their money's worth. I think uh, it's technologically impressive, but no, I no. Really, you didn't love like the whole like liquid metal kind of shimmering across the side to open up to like some like mystical sci-fi world. You didn't love like the giant moon that you could see on the exterior that would actually like you see the shadow of the moon kind of go across its surface. I get it. I'm just not surprised because it's so expensive, and I know there's brilliant digital artists out there who can make you know the old school screensavers into something very aesthetically amazing. I, I appreciate it, but no, no particular image really Ooh. caught me in that way. Screensaver, David. Burn. Okay, well, let me give you a few more facts about the sphere to just maybe hopefully win you over. It is the largest spherical structure in the world. It is the largest LED screen on Earth at 580,000 square feet. That's basically like 10 football fields of LED screen. And uh, 
Consequently, as uh, our friend Scott Rubin over at Vital Vegas has been quoted as saying, like, that electricity to power said screen is going to be really, really expensive. And so he says that he's heard the sphere is hoping to make $100 million a year in ads. So in addition to all the cool pyrotechnic lights and, you know, the creatures and eyeballs that we'll see on the side of the screen, we might see some uh, Coca-Cola ads in the coming months. Are we ready for a... 586,000 square foot personal injury lawyer advertisement (laughs) on the sphere. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I think the architecture is really stunning and I've never seen anything like it. So even without the screen, I think it brings like something really interesting and beautiful to the strip. But the idea of the projections going on all day long is a little terrifying. There's going to be a lot of distracted driving on the sands. (laughs) And I think the concerns about the brightness and hotel windows nearby where people are trying to sleep. And it's going to be interesting to see if they adjust the strategy or approach, the more the calls start coming into the front desk and the concierge like, can you turn that thing off, please? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the old the old mythology about the Vegas Vic keeping uh, visitors up. And this is like a million Vegas Vicks in one giant sphere. And I don't want to sound like, you know, ugh. I don't have a television at home. I don't watch this stuff. It's not that <laughs> level of elitism. I, I really or appreciate. Well, I really enjoy the the technology, and uh, there are brilliant local programmers I know, and I don't know if they tapped into them, but who have been doing wonderful work throughout the years. I mean, there are artists like Brian Henry and Brett Bolton who have been doing big and little things for years and years. I I was super impressed with the stuff that they do with the Velveteen Rabbit on the walls from like a decade ago, right? The stuff that have been in installations in the different hotels and things. So yeah, this is a technological marvel. I, I guess my sort of mindset goes to the and, and, and a lot of things that Brittany's saying, you know, the distraction, the the fact that it's going to probably be used for a lot of weird commercial purposes. Oh, you know, I have a concern. I'm, I'm worried about the grasshoppers. I think we saw a grasshopper, you know, massacre with the lights in the Luxor. I think this is another oh, yeah. draw for the grasshoppers to sort of fling their tiny, fragile bodies against the exosphere and die in great numbers. I wonder, <laughs> you know, I wonder if any of that stuff was kind of thought out. But I guess maybe the other question is, in the one-upmanship of spectacle on the Las Vegas Strip, what's next? What has to come next to equal the sphere? Well, I think we need another volcano on the Strip, except as big as the sphere. I'm hoping there are some checks and balances um, with the you know, commission that'll help keep it somewhat not too crazy. But I think with those giant LED screens in general, like more and more casinos are using that and leveraging the sides Mm. of their building, talk about resorts Mm -hmm. worlds. Like, I just think it is going to get to be a lot. And whether that means like the sphere eventually has like limitations of how long things are being projected during the day. I mean, I think that is eventually going to have to happen or it's just going to be nuts just even visually. I can see the screen from the resorts world, like from all the way to the south part of the strip. Wow. And it's, you know, I can make out what's happening. So I'm just going to be interested. I think it'll be very over the top in the beginning, but eventually I think they'll start to dial back like a lot of things happen with Vegas debuts. 
Well, one thing that I did, I pointed out and, you know, on Twitter, which is a great device for communicating these days, that I don't think that they're ever really going to put anything important on there. We are going to see kind of weak ass ads for things or distracting things or these beautiful, you know, uh, cool images. I mean, cool more than beautiful artistic to my aesthetic. But I don't think you're going to get like social change stuff, which would be a really interesting to way to use such a big canvas. You know, more funding for schools, please, or something like that. And I don't <laughs> see them doing anything like that. Is that a, uh, I don't know, is that a limitation of having these giant spectacles? Is that we can only use them for these kind of straight on commercial capitalistic purposes? I think so. And a lot of art is subtly political. So if we want to feature artists on yes. there, like who's inevitably going to be offended? I mean, another, we talked about favorite images, that giant earth was so gorgeous and beautiful, but I can see someone, you know, saying, wait, is this about climate change? Like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) inevitably, it's really hard for any art to not have some political undertones in a lot of ways. So I think that might eventually become an issue, even if they don't want it to be an issue or trying to prevent it from being an issue. Yeah, I I think that like, since these are commercial enterprises, they're going to err on the safe side, you know, and uh, Uncomplicated patriotism. <laughs> well, it also sounds like they have a lot of money to make up, so it sounds like they're going to have to err on the on the money making side of things. So, oh, good, right? Good. Maybe if the uh, UN like World Hunger Program is giving them lots and lots of money for an ad, they might they might change their tune. But we'll see. All right. So end end of uh, analysis. The debut success or not? Oh, I think success. I think we were wowed. I think we did not know how cool that would look on the skyline. So my vote is for success. What about you guys? I vote success. Mostly success. I I will also vote success. Not begrudgingly, but I'm also hoping that some of the smaller, impressive digital works get their due as well uh, that are scattered throughout the valley. And again, some of those local digital designers who are involved in it, they get some credit for the, the works that they've been doing to get us to this point. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Moving on in topics. Interesting lawsuit. There's always interesting lawsuits. So uh, Mm -hmm. some Nevadans have challenged the new election worker protection law that was signed by Governor Lombardo, was presented by Cisco Aguilar from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, Essentially, there was a perceived problem that election workers, people who are counting our ballots or involved in that process, are being targeted by people who are falsely claiming fraud, who are unhappy with the voting process, uh, who have all those claims that we've heard, not just in Nevada, but nationwide. And so with the assistance of the Democrat-led legislature, new bill was proposed to criminalize to a very harsh penalty extent the harassment, intimidation, publishing of personal information of people who work in 
uh, our election system. And now we have a lawsuit. The lawsuit is being filed by a very conservative group. Uh, it's being led by Sigal Chata, who was the candidate for attorney general, the very, uh, I think that she would uh, accept the depiction of being a very right wing or a conservative attorney. Sure. And they're challenging the composition of the law, saying that some of the terms are so ambiguous that they impinge upon free speech. They're saying that because the legislature did not define the terms carefully, that a lot of things that we would in a democracy cherish are now going to be felonized. So putting aside for a moment the possible intentions of bringing this lawsuit, and I think there's a lot of politics behind it, do you guys think there's any merit in this argument that the law constrains lawful poll observers from doing their role, which is to kind of keep an eye on the election workers and make sure things are fair. I got to admit, I am pretty curious about how this law compares to other general laws when it comes to harassment, because I did I did my best, David. I went into the actual PDF document here and did my best to decipher the language around this. I and love it, that. My, my legal training is rubbing off on the whole team. Yes, I love that. it is. It is. And so it did seem to me that there was not a a clear path laid out because poll observers are legally allowed, right? So my understanding is that the claims of these plaintiffs are that if they are poll observers and they do actually have a legitimate concern, how do they bring these concerns forward to election officials without being accused of harassment? or Exactly. This? And I understand that like harassment itself, it seems like a very nebulous concept. I'm kind of curious how other harassment laws define harassment. I didn't see a definition for harassment in the in the law stated the Nevada law that we have here. But maybe the answer is then for us to have kind of a more clear path forward for what poll observers can and should do in the event that they see something that they are concerned about. So maybe they don't have to like directly approach an election worker. Maybe there's a system where they take some photo or video and then upload it to some kind of, you know, form somewhere. Or maybe there's a an, another neutral third party that they go and talk to, you know, as a sort of a buffer between them and election workers. So I think I think it's not to me just the case of maybe there's some ambiguity around like what harassment is defined as, but also what is then the path for poll workers to to do to carry out their lawful activities? Well, it sounds like they are really trying to pin their argument on the use of the word intimidation, right? I mean, mm. coercion, threats of violence, those things are more clearly defined. And what does intimidation mean? To you, what does it mean to my coworker, to the person working alongside me? We might have different understandings of perceptions. But I feel like, I mean, David, you could speak to this legally. Like, intimidation is a very already discussed terminology experience in all sorts of workplaces and all sorts of white legal cases. And that's what the process is for, right? Is for the the jury and the the prosecutors, whatever, the criminal defense to determine is this or is this not an action of intimidation, threat, coercion. And mm -hmm. I think we have to protect our poll workers. And I'm sorry, Republicans, but you reap what you sow, right? And the behavior of the 2020 election, like the level of harassment and the things that were happening, like this is a direct response to that, right? So I'm not concerned about the language of the law as much. I read it. I feel like it's no different than the complications that are presented in cases of sexual harassment, right? True. Where these terms are mm -hmm. 
ultimately limited by perception of individuals. And Mm -hmm. that's what the process is for, to go through that discussion to determine whether or not the actions were or were not that. But Sonia, I certainly agree with your suggestion that more processes or clear processes for complaints is would be beneficial. Well, then to divert, hopefully divert any of that sort of interaction in the first place, because I so this is my impression, which is when I was trying to read up on this and and my understanding is that I feel like there's a really mushy gray area between poll watching and voter intimidation. <laughs> right. Then that's essentially what this is about. This is a debate around is this, you know, a fight for democracy to watch the polls or are you actually out there intimidating voters with your presence? And another thought occurred to me. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Nevada is an open carry state. So yeah. if a poll watcher is wearing a visible gun, is that considered voter intimidation? And I think that was addressed in one of the bills that was vetoed by huh. Governor Lombardo with regard to bringing weapons into the the zone. I will say I have two thoughts on this. Uh, one, I was a poll watcher for wow. a couple of elections back. I went through a training that actually the Culinary Union had sponsored, but I was there as a neutral party, uh, not for the Democrats or the Republicans. And, you know, really it was just about standing around and not necessarily looking for like shenanigans to happen so much as when someone had a concern that they weren't being allowed to vote, how that was handled. Like, did they follow the process with provincial ballots? Did they, were they kind to the person? Were they encouraging? There was a little bit of like, what were people wearing inside who were the poll workers? Were they wearing anything that was overtly political that would, you know, the people who like, take your information to give you your ballot and stuff like that. So it, it was pretty innocuous. And while I imagine there can be people who are particularly aggro about it, it is a good thing, I think, in general, to have these kind of poll watchers that mm-hmm. are official and there. That said, it has turned in, as Brittany points out, to a societal ill, the way that it has been elevated to really a, a point where people felt something needed to be done. My second thought real quickly is the same old rant that I always have about the carceral system being used to address societal issues, that the first turn, whether you're Democrat or Republican, is to make a new law with new penalties to put people in prison for doing things that you don't like or that can be problematic without looking at more immediate problem solving for that sort of thing. But the analysis really kind of goes down to the fact that they're not wrong that sometimes statutes are written in a way that can be abused and that people who might be otherwise in the First Amendment right are turned into the carceral wrong. And that is a challenge. And that's why you have to be very careful and precise in creating new laws that create opportunity for people to have to go to prison. And we are not good at that in America. We are especially not good at that in Nevada. And I was criticizing the the Secretary of State all along saying, why, why is your go-to put more people in prison as opposed to come up with, like what you're talking about, Sonia, mm-hmm. better processes to you know, uh, establish where you can assert your complaint. It'll be interesting because I don't think that it stops in the in the initial court. I think it's one of those that has to go up to the Nevada Supreme Court where they're going to weigh in on just, you know, whether or not the language is precise enough or whether or not the language is so broad that it could be used in ways to, you know, really suppress legitimate First Amendment free speech. But I, I don't like its chances.
talk about a societal ill that we haven't yet tried to remedy with carceral consequence. And that is the danger to outdoor workers during our relentless and unforgiving summers, especially, boy, that rising heat came on us so quick. We were so (laughs) blessed, no hundreds, and now all of a sudden we're in the 110s. Brittany, you used to be a a person who worked in the outdoors here in Las Vegas. What about these dangers? Well, the dangers are real. And the question of like, how do we keep our outdoor workers safe is so important and has largely been unanswered and unaddressed. And Mm -hmm. a recent study from the Desert Research Institute documented a correlation between the rising heat index in the American Southwest and heat-related illness among outdoor workers. So like the main crux of the study showed that the total number of deaths in the valley went from 20 in 2017 to almost 250 in 2021, a huge increase. And then it also revealed some sort of unexpected things like female workers are more prone to heat related illness, workers who've been on the job for longer for five years um, or more or more at risk. So despite this clearly rising issue and the concerns to the workplace and workplace safety, The state legislator has not adopted or advanced any bills designed to protect outdoor workers in extreme heat because there's Mm. debate about whether those regulations should come from the federal level or the local level and whether sort of a one-size-fits-all or blanket approach is appropriate for all of the various industries that do operate outdoors. So currently, there's not a set regulation or rules. And the city of Las Vegas, when talking about its city workers, said that it encourages them to stay hydrated, to... Encourages with flyers. Wear a big hat, y'all. To avoid Uh the hottest part of the day. Public service email. To take breaks in the shade. (laughs) But um, is that enough? I say no. Um, And I'd be curious to hear what you say. And are these like gentle tips to workers enough, Sonia? Right, right. And then that's sort of the upshot that is like, okay, make sure you're staying hydrated, like wear a big hat. And then I think (laughs) we've also seen reporting that like, not only is it hot in the summer, our our desert, our city is getting hotter and that there are pockets of the city, certain parts of the city that are even hotter than others because these are like urban heat islands where there aren't enough trees or or shrubbery or shade. And then the the asphalt heats up, it heats up the, the metal and steel and concrete buildings all around them. So you've got pockets of the city that are blazingly hot. Yeah. Well, the reality is it's going to get worse, right? Yeah. Like we're yeah. And we all know that's coming. Right. I mean, you know, I'm made of pure sugar. I melt outside. But uh, <laughs> pretty not to say that you're not sweet. But uh, I, I did mention that you were an outside worker. In fact, uh, you specifically worked as a day pool server. Mm-hmm. What were your heat concerns or protections that were offered? Well, protections is, I I don't know if I could <laughs> identify a protection. You know, we weren't allowed to wear hats because that <gasps> wasn't right with our uniform. Wow. Um, and I mean, each casino is different. Obviously, I worked at multi- I've worked at multiple pools. But in terms of the advice that we were given for enduring the heat, it was usually during a pre-shift meeting. Hey, it's going to be hot today. Drink water. But then, like, the entire shift, our manager is, like, getting mad at half-finished water bottles, like, that the guests can see because it's, like, aesthetically (laughs) not pleasing, you know? So the actual, like, encouragement and taking care and protecting workers, I didn't, you know, see, like, a lot of efforts for that. You know, I think... 
we had the opportunity to be in shade sometimes because the service well was sometimes out of the sun. But I mean, when you're working in those heats, your body does start to adapt and then you're no longer really registering the effect that it's having on your body. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that study showing that people who've worked at these jobs longer are actually more at risk. It's almost like a chronic heat exhaustion, I think is a really real concern. And thinking more creatively about policies, like even some jobs, if we start to talk about construction road work, like we might have to start considering seasonality for these jobs, right? Mm -hmm. That, hey, maybe these workers just shouldn't be out there in July. Like maybe Mm -hmm. that just doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we're at that state yet. But if this keeps happening, I mean, you know, the unions are going to have to get involved to start talking about how their workers want to be protected, what their concerns are. It's rough out there. It's like we're endurance athletes out there. It's hot. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not just day pool workers, although there's a lot of day pool workers in Las mm-hmm. Vegas, but you mentioned construction folk and they're heavily dressed. I mean, mm-hmm. in the middle of summer, sometimes I wonder because they have to have all the reflective clothing and stuff, like why they're not wearing shorts or, you know, what else is out there for them. And I could probably think of lots of other people, not just the road construction, but the home building and just right. a lot of people are outside. Well, there's also people who do deliveries who have to get in and out of their cars. I think right. that it was just only recently that you UPS workers won the right to have AC running in their vans because they get wow. their doors are open and they get in and out so often, right? The number of people who count as like outdoor workers is probably much vaster than we might see in the surface. Yeah. Right. Well, what kind of laws, Sony, do you think that we haven't talked about already should be in place or protections that all workers should have as a reform so that our outdoor workers in Las Vegas are not being exposed to these dangers? I would love to see, uh, as I mean, I'm going to steal something from Brittany here, but like the idea that there might be seasonality. So like a limit. So if once it gets to a certain temperature and keeping in mind that like certain parts of the city and also certain like surfaces, like whether it's like, say, working on a, on a tennis court or working on like asphalt, right. that certain temperatures also themselves get much harder than what the uh, the ambient sort of air temperature might tell you. So depending on the actual work circumstance, looking at temperatures for different work conditions and say, okay, when it is a hundred and maybe if it's 115, then we start to say that like people who work on black asphalt maybe need to sort of have a certain number of hours off. So I think it's to me about regulating work hours, times of day and temperature and kind of maybe there's a, I'm sure there's some really smart mathy person out there who can create a great (laughs) graph of, of when the peak danger hours are. Um, that would be one thing. And then I think maybe mandating like a certain amount of like water or like hydration supplies to be brought with every work team and then provided like a certain like, I don't know, what do we say for a hike? What a liter of water per person per hour? Maybe that mm-hmm. should be the standard for how much water we have available to people who work in these outdoor conditions as well. I think those are great suggestions. And I I do sympathize with the argument that like does a blanket, you know, bill gonna like apply to every single workplace every single workplace is so different which i i do think language more like workplaces have to have some type of language they have to have some type of right documentation or sop for how to address heat specifically mm-hmm. and then right. individual workplaces can work with their union can work with their management um to to create safety procedures that make the most sense for that particular workplace i think that'll be the most le- like practical and logistical way to get it done. I have an idea. I think we need, okay, this is how we one up the sphere. We get a giant (laughs) umbrella that goes over the city of Las Vegas, complete with misters. And that's how we get through summer. If only we could block out the sun. (laughs) Block out the sun. (laughs) 
Sonia yeah. just wants to get rid of Lake Mead forever. There we go. <laughs> right. Well, you know, water, we talk about it so much in this valley, and we've come up with so many innovative things that have been implemented. The sun is also a really big deal here, and yet we don't have the same levels of conversation. So hopefully someone's listening to this and both your suggestions will be adopted, not just as suggestions, but as as requirements, because we want to protect all the people out there. Fun right. fact, the city and the county have put uh, out new sunscreen stations where you can get some SPF 30. So help <gasps> yourself to that. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm going to just bounce on that really quickly is I had to go over to City Hall recently for a meeting. And while I was waiting at the crosswalk, they had put in this beautiful shade structure yes. that came off the pole. And I'm like, love why isn't this everywhere? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think there are steps being taken, but by the same token, because it's a big old desert valley with that big old sun coming down on us, a lot more needs to be done. Right. Fair. Riveting conversation, as always. Love the Friday News Roundup. Sonia Cho Swanson, Brittany Bronson, thanks so much for joining me on CityCast Las Vegas today. Ooh, thanks so much, David. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to talk. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our producers this week are Sonia Cho Swanson, Layla Muhammad, and A.K. Al-Moomin. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are Vogue Robinson and me, David Figler. Music is by O.G. Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, ah, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our indispensable morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care.